My name is Ben Stone. Today is Friday, July 20th, 2012, and this is podcast number 173. To start off with today, uh, I have an interview that I did yesterday with uh, Robert Fernandez of the Lemonade Freedom Day. And before I get into that, I owe my audience an apology. I put quite a bit of effort into trying to get Robert's sound correct in the interview because it was uh, being done over the telephone. And uh, I made a horrible amateur mistake and didn't listen to... I listened to my own uh, voice to make sure the sound check was correct. I listened to Robert's voice, but then I didn't listen to the two of us together. And what that means is what you're going to hear in the interview is that uh, Robert's voice is going to sound pretty good over the phone, and but but I double recorded mine, so you're going to hear a nasty echo throughout the entire interview of my voice, and I apologize for that. I I didn't realize I was doing it until right at the end, and it was already too late to do anything about it. But um, I, you know, this is still a learning curve for me. Some of my friends, like Michael Dean, is going to make fun of me for making a rookie mistake like this, and I really should have known better. I I realized what I had done, but it was already too late to do anything about it. But um, forgive me, tolerate my uh, my rookiness in this, and really try to focus on Robert's message and hear what he has to say about the upcoming events in Washington, D.C., and nationwide. So here's the interview with Robert Fernandez. Thank you very much, folks. This is Ben Stone with BadQuaker.com, and with me today is Robert Fernandez, and he is the founder of Lemonade Freedom Day. And, uh, Robert, I'm just going to let you go ahead and tell my audience what's going on on August 18th and anything that you want to tell me about it. Sure. Well, uh, uh, thanks for having me on the show, Ben. Basically, last year I was reading through the news on the Internet, and I saw uh, lots of stories. I saw, actually, I came across one story first about uh, some girls' lemonade stands who were shut down, um, and, and I thought it was absurd. Uh, so I started to look around a little bit more, and I found that it was actually more common than I had expected. So basically, uh, uh, it, it, after some discussion with some friends of mine, I, uh, I came up with the idea of creating a Lemonade Freedom Day, and, and, and the goal was to get as many people as, as possible to go out and open up lemonade stands, uh, basically, you know, in, in, in kind of a civil disobedience uh, uh, protest uh, type of thing, so, so that, you know, as many people would just open up lemonade stands and defy these ridiculous laws and go out and sell lemonade. Um, so the, the success of last year's event was, uh, you know, it was beyond, you know, any possible uh dream that I would have ha- ever had, you know, I mean, it, it got national attention, um, it was on, in Forbes and Fox News, and it was, you know, all over the place, uh, it, it was nationwide, um, 
there were probably around 2,000 participants last year all over the country, and that, that varies from, you know, the small kids' lemonade stands in front of their house all the way up to, like, big uh, groups that were organizing large events. Um, so so it, was, it was pretty popular last year, um, and, and I was extremely happy with the result. This year, uh, Liz Reitzig, um, and she is from Raw Milk Freedom Riders, um, she contacted me this year. And now, now Liz and, and Raw Milk Freedom Riders, they have been involved in lots of uh, activism in, as far as, you know, the legalization of, of raw milk and, mm-hmm. you know, protesting uh, people who have been, you know, persecuted for, you know, the horrible crime of uh, distributing raw milk. Right. So when she contacted me this year, um, she asked me, you know, if, if she would, you know, if, if I would like to, uh, you know, join forces with them to promote Lemonade Freedom Day and also promote the, you know, distribution of raw milk as well. Um, and, and I, you know, I love the idea because, you know, even since the beginning, you know, a, a lot of people may have looked at it, you know, in the public eye, you know, the Lemonade Freedom Day event as, you know, this horrible thing where, you know, uh, you know, police officers and bureaucrats were going around shutting down kids' lemonade stands. So, you know, they, 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 they may, some people may have related it to, you know, lemonade and uh, kids. Well, you know, I mean, sure, that's what it was, you know, at first sight, but that, that's, you know, in, in my mind, it, it has never been just about that. Right. Um, it, it, it has always, uh, to me, you know, to me, there's, there's, you know, a natural right that people have that, you know, they, they own themselves and, you know, they basically need, they, they have the choice. They, they make the decisions of what they buy and what goes into their bodies and not some bureaucrat sitting in, you know, some office in either, you know, in either Washington, D.C. or their state or their local uh, county governments or whatever. Um, so, you know, to me, it's, 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 it's a, a rights issue, and, and it's about, you know, voluntary exchange. You know, we, should, we, we, we have the right, you know, to, to, do, um, to do business with whoever we feel fit. And, you know, as long as we're not harming somebody else, then nobody has any business saying anything about that. Uh, exactly. You know, no, matter what their, no matter what their supposed uh, good intentions may be. Right. Um, so I, uh, that, that's why, you know, this, you know, the whole thing with the Royal Milk Freedom Riders, when Liz contact, contacted me, that's why this fits in perfectly with it, because it, it, it's all under the same umbrella, you know, and it's all about voluntary exchange and food freedom and, you know, the right to put in your body what you feel fit. Um, so, you know, I was, I was, you know, ecstatic about it when she mentioned it to me and, and, you know, she's been, you know, great as far as or helping me, you know, organize this event, um, as, as well as, you know, Eddie Free, who also is an organizer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're both just amazing organizers and amazing activists and, and it's, it's a pleasure to be working with them. And, you know, just, you know, just now we're just starting to release all the information about it. We're still working on a lot of the, de- on a lot of the details of the event. But uh, everything is starting to really shape up, and uh, it's, it's look, it looks like it's going to be a really big event. We're, we're, we're all really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. I, I really hope you're going to get a, a really big turnout that's going to draw a lot of national attention. And I think it has the potential of doing that because I think exactly what you said, uh, this is not just about lemonade or it's not just about milk. It's about, you know, the, the primary rights that a human being has to communicate with another human being and trade with them and, and, and food and eat and drink. And, you know, that, that's far more important than like you're saying, just a kid's thing. It's it's really a much bigger issue. 
Oh, you're you're absolutely right. You know, and and, and especially you know in, in this day and age, you know, when you have you know so much, uh, in, you know, you you know you, you're you're mentioning you know especially about you know food rights and things like that. I mean, it's it, it's amazing this day and age when there's so much disease and so much sickness in our, in our society these days. You know, and and you know the, the more evidence you know that, that comes out, it, there's there's so much evidence that points to you know diet and what you're putting in your body, and and you know unfortunately. You know, when you have these bureaucrats in Washington D.C., um, all that they're working for are the you know the large uh, you know multinational corporations that are that are you know have the ability to pay them off to uh, you know make you know uh, make them the monopoly in in, in, the, in the food industry, and that's that's what this is about. You know, I mean, I, I listened to your your last podcast where you discussed about uh, you know the history of milk, and you know I was even un, unaware of most of that stuff. And I, I think it was, you know, amazing. And if, if any uh, anybody's listening to this, I suggest they go back and listen to that because I think you did a great job explaining the history of uh, milk and and how uh, the police uh, ended up getting involved in that. Um, Thank you. But uh, yeah, but uh, I, I really think that you know, with with health the way it is, I mean, we need to have you know freedom to to choose what we put into our body. I mean, sure, there are a lot of people that are going to make bad decisions and put bad foods into their body, which will make them sick. Right. Um, and, and I think they have every right to do so as well. You know, nobody owns their body. So if they want to do that, then let them go ahead and do that. But please don't tell us, you know, what, what we, what we have, you know, what we can put in our body or can't put in our body. I mean, it's, it's absolutely absurd that, you know, anybody can walk into, you know, a 7-Eleven or, or a convenience store and, and buy, you know, a big bottle of uh, Coca-Cola that has all kinds of different chemicals in it and things like that. But something as natural as raw milk that comes directly out of the cow that's untampered uh, is somehow bad for you. Yeah, you know, we're supposed to fear that. Yeah, it's crazy. The, the fact that people buy this is simply because we've been told it for 100 years and nobody questions it. It's just that's a really sad state. Yeah, you're, you're you're absolutely right, and I mean it's it's you know it's it all comes and, and to me it doesn't even come down to I, I mean a lot of people will argue you know the benefits of raw milk and things like that and I think that's great and I think they're they're 100 percent correct you know I'm I'm a big uh, you know uh, supporter of raw milk I, I you know my my kids drink raw milk I, I you know I drive uh, probably 45 minutes out of my way because raw milk is illegal in New Jersey where I live wow. and I have to drive you know 45 minutes to uh, a farm in Pennsylvania where, where I pick up raw milk. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, the benefits of raw milk, and I think that's great, but I think there's there's a lot more to the argument than just, you know, how, how beneficial this is to people. Um, I think, you know, the bigger argument is, you know, as we just touched on, is, is the right to put in our body whatever we feel fit. So, you know, for anybody that's listening to this that, that doesn't, you know, uh, like to drink raw milk, whether you're a vegan or, you know, whether you're, you know, whether you think that raw milk is, you know, inherently dangerous or, or something like that, you know, I, I just, I think you just need, need to really open your mind and think about, uh, you know, uh, you know, if that's what you believe, then, then, then fine, so be it. Believe that, drink whatever you want, but please don't tell people that have guns to put, you know, me and my friends in cages because we want to, uh, you know, consume, possess, or destroy I think one of the really strong aspects of the raw milk fight also is the fact that possibly the most peaceful people in the world, the Amish, 
are actually being actively targeted by the government and raided and manhandled and their products confiscated and their property threatened. Uh, and, and these are the, the gentlest people literally in our society and they're the ones on the cutting edge uh, uh, about to take the actual blunt of the attack from the government. And, it, and if we can't stand with them on this, uh, if they can be separated out by the government and attacked and their property taken, then really who of us is safe if the most gentle people in North America are at risk from their own government? Then who's safe? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, every time every time I see, you know, cases like this where, you know, peaceful, uh, nonviolent people are being, you know, harassed and punished and, and, you know, put through all of this, you know, nonsense, put in cages and things like that, uh, you know, just for, for, for simply, you know, wanting to provide a service or wanting to, uh, you know, provide for their families and things like that. I mean, I, I think it, it's a good example of, the violence that that's inherent that's inherent in the, in the state. You know, I mean, we, we we need to turn. We need to start becoming a society that's based on you know peace and and non-aggression. I mean, how how do we expect a society to be a peaceful society when the very government that 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 governs and creates the the, the rules and laws of that society is inherently violent? Right. Um, you know, and 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 you know, I mean, there's nothing worse than you know showing violence against a, a peaceful person. You know, now I, I, again, I'm not I'm, I'm not talking about violence against you know in, in self defense. Obviously, that is completely acceptable and, in my opinion, necessary. Right. Um, but you know what, what I'm what I'm referring to is violence against people who have harmed no one, where there is no victim that that, that will come up and say that this person has harmed me. You know, and, and these people are being you know treated like you know like criminals, and and they're not criminals. Criminals are the ones that are using the force against them. Exactly. You know? And yeah, and I, and I think you made a good point about you know standing with uh, you know the pe- these peaceful people, you know, such as the Amish. You know, and and I think that's important, and th- and that's. You know, one of my main goals, you know, when I created even Lemonade Freedom Day last year, you know, and and, and I, my goal is that I want to see more of your average people, people that would normally just sit on a couch and, and, and not do anything. I want to see more people like that. I want to see them getting involved and start speaking out against this because most people understand the concept of non-aggression, but for some reason, and, you know, it's, 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 it's for the conditioning and, and everything that's been, you know, conditioned into them through, throughout school and throughout their parents and, you know, uh, the way they were raised and things like that, mm-hmm. they don't, they, for some reason, they disassociate that when it comes to the government, and they think that that's acceptable, and we need to break out of that. We need people to realize that non-aggression is important, not only for us, as you know, as a society, but it also applies to to the government. And and you know, when, when you aggress, when you initiate force on a peaceful individual, it's wrong. But no matter what type of uh, uh, you know suit or costume that person is wearing, no matter what title that person has behind their name, you know. And I think more people need to start waking up and and realizing this. And that's that's you know part of the goal with Lemonade Freedom is to is to start reaching out to you know other people you know who who aren't normally involved and, and try to get them to, you know, see things for what they are. 
Yeah, and everything I said about the Amish can also be applied with the with the Kool-Aid situation because you've literally got little kids, little girls that are being approached with by uniformed sometimes multiple uniformed people are coming up to them in a completely authoritarian style like if they're doing something wrong and they're not and there's something inherently evil about when you call something that's good when you call that bad and when you take something that's bad and you call that good and when a society accepts that that's a very dangerous position to to take as a society to accept the bullying of little children uh, over them doing something that is good, you know, commerce is good, and maybe maybe some people think that's a radical statement, but commerce is good without trade. You know, we starve all of us. Uh, that's how the division of labor works. And so to have a child who's willing to learn how to have a ha have a little business and control money and things like this, this is how society improves itself. And to call that bad and have a uniform person come up and get rough with those children and then say that's good that's a complete reversal of morals that any honest person should reject yeah i, I agree with you a hundred percent there um, and that's that's you know i look at every aspect of, of the society that we live in today and everything has been completely reversed uh... you know what is bad is now good and what is good is now bad and it's, it's just getting to be absurd you know and the more the more you, you know, open your eyes and pay attention to what's going on, the more you see it. Um, I mean, you know, you have, you have hospitals and doctors that, that, that prescribe, you know, drugs that are killing people, that are making people sick, and, and, and performing, you know, uh, procedures on people that are, that, are, that are horrible and dangerous procedures. And, you know, this is a completely acceptable thing. Meanwhile, you know, some, you know, women who, who you know, midwives, who bring children into the world, you know, peacefully and, and don't harm anybody and, 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 and everything about them screams peace and, and, and love. And, and, you know, they're being, you know, put in cages for things that they're doing. I mean, this, it, everything is backwards, you know. It, it, like you said with the commerce, I mean, it, it's like, you know, uh, the, the reliance, I mean, the, I, you know, the government wants people to be so dependent on them. And, you know, here they are. I, the, the, meanwhile, right now, the government is promoting, you know, food stamps and things like that. They're trying to get more people on food stamps. Right. Meanwhile, you have kids that are going out and being motivated and have great ideas and, and, and they're going out and trying to do things and they're benefiting society with their services and they're, they're trying to learn how to do these things and they're being shut down by these thugs with guns. You know, you're, you're completely right about that. And, and that's, it's, it's such a sad thing when, when, when you look at our society when it's like that. We really have to, you know, I, I really believe that education is, you know, the most the most important step to, you know, start getting people out of that thought process. It's just so tough because, you know, there's one thing I say that the government is really good at, and it's indoctrinating people and conditioning people. And that's, you know, this is this is the result of that, that people have been so conditioned over the years that they don't even think, they don't even take a second out of, out of, out of their day to stop and think about what they're supporting and, and, and what, you know, what is going on here. And, and it's exactly the way you framed it is that, you know, what's good is bad and what's bad is good. Everything is completely flipped around. It's, everything is upside down. Yeah, uh, if, I, if I were more of a, uh, oh, I don't know what you call it, a pessimist, I would look at society right now and say, there's just, there's no way this is salvageable. But I know that 
Uh, and, and sometimes I say that in reference to the government. The government is not salvageable. It's gone too far, and it's in horrible condition. But society can still be saved because it's a completely different thing from the government. The government is is just that one small group of people. That, you know, if you if you had all of the actual government employees together, uh, and I'm not talking about you know people who just mow the lawn on the White House or whatever, but the real you know the w- real decision makers. It's a very small group of people that are doing this, and if all the rest of society could stand up and say, "Wait a minute." That's not right. And I'm not saying, you know, to like arm yourself and storm the White House and tear down the Bastille or whatever. But just realize, just open your eyes and realize what this thing is that we're dealing with. Then all of a sudden, just that knowledge would change the whole, uh, the, the, the whole game would be changed just if people looked and really saw the government for what it really is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, 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 you know, there's there's no need to, you know, as you said, storm the White House, uh, because, you know, that will just justify their actions even more. Um, you know, when, when people turn to violence, that just justifies their actions even more. Um, I, I, again, you know, like I said, I, I believe that education is the key, and that's what we need to do is we need to educate people, you know, and, and government only exists because the people give them that legitimacy, you know, because people accept their legitimacy, you know, and so that's what we need to do. We need to get people to stop accepting their legitimacy. You know, we need to look at government for what it is, and government, you know, is is nothing more than, than you know, a gang of thugs that create their own rules and, you know, that, that we have to live by, but they don't have to live by, and they're willing to use force against innocent, innocent peaceful people who, who have committed no harm to anybody, and, you know, they, I mean, we need to break away from this and, and, and go and get into a society where, you know, where we truly uh, live in a voluntary society where everybody's rights are, are uh, respected, um, where violence is, is never to be used against anybody who has not committed an act of violence against somebody. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, what my whole goal is to, to, to hopefully, you know, go reach out and try to educate people and, and you know, show people that this can be possible and, and not only possible, but it's, you know, the ideal way. It would be the, the best way for society to, uh, to operate. Robert, I really appreciate you coming on the show with me today, and uh, I want to give the, the last... Uh, few minutes here for you to say anything you want to say but before before that happens i want to uh reintroduce you one more time robert fernandez with lemonade freedom day and joining forces with raw milk freedom riders on saturday august 18th 2012 at noon third street southwest between maryland and jefferson near the capitol reflecting pool in washington dc bring uh bring some food lunch picnic lunch is fine or whatever and a plan to exchange peaceably exchange uh make exchanges with other people uh robert what, what else uh, did you want to say before we uh, uh cut it off today oh yeah i just want to also mention uh that we are having a rights workshop the day before on august 17th um uh, the rights workshop we will have uh, a lot of speakers um uh, people will be able to learn about the history of civil disobedience and they will learn how to uh you know effectively leverage uh publicity and social media to their best advantage um and to deal with uh, aggressive law enforcement and uh how to stand up for their rights uh we have a list of uh speakers that we're still working on um but, but for now we have uh Liz Reitzig who is from uh 
Raw Milk Freedom Riders. We have Max Kane, who is also, um, I believe, from uh, Raw Milk Freedom Riders. Um, I will be speaking. We have uh, a gentleman named Bradley Jardis, who is an ex-police officer who uh, uh, who left the force because he was uh, he felt like he didn't fit in there, um, and now he's a big activist uh, in the liberty movement. Uh, Mel, o- Mel Olson, um, who is an activist mom, she'll be speaking. Uh, we have Derek Jay from New Hampshire, and uh, he will be discussing uh, civil disobedience. Uh, we have a gentleman named John Moody, who will be discussing uh, grassroots support while facing enforcement actions. And we have Pete Ayer and Clyde Voluntarist, uh, who will be speaking about, uh, you know, uh, police accountability, dealing with the court system, um, and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's not just uh, on the 18th. The 18th is the main Lemonade Freedom Day event that you just mentioned, um, and the rights workshop is the night before. So if anybody's interested in the rights workshop, we, we, ha- we have on our site, there's a way you can RSVP um, if, if you're looking to participate. So just go to either LemonadeFreedom.com or RawMilkFreedomRiders.com, and you'll be able to find out more information about both events. Um, and we hope to see as many people as, as possible turn out. We're, this is a family-friendly event. Um, we're hoping to have a lot of different uh, things there for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, for, for families, and, and I'm referring to the, uh, to the picnic on, uh, on, the, on the 18th. Uh, it's a family-friendly event, and we would like to see as many families um, and individuals and just anybody just turn out and uh, show up and show support and, um, and come out and have a great time with us. And I'll put links to both of those websites on badquaker.com where this uh, podcast appears. So anybody that uh, didn't catch the, the, uh, the address or whatever, just go over to badquaker.com, hit the link, and, uh, and you can get over there. Do you guys have a Facebook page also? Um, yes, we have a Facebook event page. Um, there, there is a there's there's a face there's a uh, Lemonade Freedom Day uh, Facebook page. You can go ahead and like that. Um, and we also have a Facebook event page for the uh, Lemonade Freedom Day 2012. So and just just look for the main one because now there's they're starting to uh, pop up like uh, <laughs> like little little offshoots of of the Lemonade Freedom Day. Like right now, there's a big event uh, also scheduled in, in the Philadelphia area. So uh, you know, look for the main one and, and like us and it, it, find one in your area. Um, and if there's not an event in your area, you know, create your own event. You know, I would love to see more organizers and individuals, uh, you know, stand up and organize large events in their area as well as, you know, as many people, you know, if, if, if you can't organize event, a large event, then just go out and set up a lemonade stand, sell some lemonade, sell some raw milk and cookies, you know, have a great time. Robert, thanks for coming on the show with me, and I want to extend the invitation anytime you want. Just give me a call or drop me, you know, to get in touch with me on Facebook or email or whatever, and uh, I'll get you right back on the show. Great. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, you see what I was talking about there. That really sounded horrible. Uh, my apologies both to Robert and to the audience for that. Um, you know, I don't know what can I say about that. Okay, I'm going to break here for a real quick commercial break. Instead of having two 30-second breaks, I'm going to just go ahead and, and have one 30-second break today, and then we'll get right back into the uh, into the podcast. Folks, have you seen the silver and gold trading cards from Shire Silver? You have to check these out. They're specific weights of real silver or gold laminated inside trading cards, 
and they're a great way to show the world a better way to save, spend, and share precious metals. And now you can buy them using bitcoins or Federal Reserve notes. Folks, you really need to check this out. Go over to Shire Silver, watch the video on the main page, check out the list of merchants that accept silver and gold trading cards, and you can even learn how you can get paid to help spread the word about Shire Silver trading cards. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the commercial there, and I just want to recap the information from the first, from that first segment with the interview with Robert Fernandez. Uh, Robert Fernandez is with the Lemonade Freedom Day, uh, and that's at lemonadefreedomday.com, and he's working in conjunction with Raw Milk Freedom Writers, and they're at rawmilkfreedomwriters.com, and I'll uh, provide links at badquaker.com to both of those with today's podcast. Keep in mind that August 18th, this is a Saturday, August 18th, 2012, at noon, Robert, along with the Freedom uh, Liberty, I'm sorry, <laughs> with Lemonade Freedom Day and the Raw Milk Freedom Riders, are going to be in Washington, D.C., 3rd Street, southwest between Maryland and Jefferson, near the Capitol Reflecting Pool. And uh, it's going to be a time to ex to voluntarily exchange food items and just enjoy things, bring out a picnic lunch and something to share, and uh, just come out for a peaceful rally to support um, milk, uh, the, the, the peaceful exchange of milk and lemonade stands, and the right to do commerce. Uh, come on out if you can. If you can't, like, like Robert was saying, you know, uh, set up your own lemonade stand. Do something to stand up uh, for what's right and against what's wrong. Now, um, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about, uh, you know, I some, sometimes I spend too much time on Facebook, and by too much time, I mean uh, I'll pop over there for like five minutes, run through, see if there's any messages, maybe share a picture or two that somebody else has shared with me, and uh, the five minutes turns into ten minutes, and then I have to get out of there and do other things. And um, I had uh, I had uh, shared one article about the uh, uh, about the arrest of Steve Ettinger at as at Asbury Park Boardway Boardwalk in New Jersey uh, not long ago, last weekend I believe. He was wearing one of those Borat swimsuits, and they had the uh, the swimsuit dance party was going on, and it, you can see this in the uh, 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 Adam Kokesh has a video of the whole of the whole thing, and there are some other videos floating around and so forth. But you can see that there's interaction with the local police that's going on. And you can tell by watching the main. There's there's actually two cops there that I saw in the in the uh, in the films, and boy, you can tell how old I am by calling it a film, huh? They don't use they haven't used film anyway. Um, so one of these two police is getting very frustrated because he he you know he, he, you can tell he's just chomping at the bit to do something. But nobody has done anything that he can really do anything about. The city council itself had already changed their their rules, so uh, you know, so the bathing suits were perfectly legal. Uh, that was the whole point of showing up for the for the bathing suit protest. Anyway, was that the city had had made a law a long time ago, or an ordinance, or whatever, 
that uh, forbid bathing suits on the on the boardwalk, which is you know that's pretty stupid. But um, but they had done that, and then some you know some stinking Puritan uh, councilwoman or for or, or former councilwoman or former something whatever whatever the statist Puritan. I'm trying to just maintain my language here, but whatever this person, however she wants to describe herself, she got all. Uh, wadded up over over the possibility of seeing someone in a bathing suit and and oh no her her delicate eyes might be offended by that so she was going to try to uh, to get the city council to have the police um, you know pursue this old rule and keep these you know evil tourists from walking around in their bathing suits uh, you know, because that's certainly going to help the city and help commerce and so forth. If we, if a city cracks down on on tourists and starts giving them tickets for stupid reasons, that's really going to help the economy, isn't it? Anyway, so the city council was wise enough to dump this stupid law or this stupid rule of whatever kind it is, however they want to label it. And uh, but Eddie Free and the other folks out there and and uh, uh, Adam Kokesh and all the others. They already had the party planned, and so they went ahead and had, you know, they had a live band, and and uh, they were, you know, doing their thing there and having fun. And uh, the police were there, and you could just see, you can see from the film that this one police, he is just dying for some reason, for anything. Just give him an excuse. Somebody look at him wrong. Somebody chew gum with the wrong tooth. Just do anything so that he can have some reason to take action. You can tell that this guy is just, you know, uh, he's he's totally Barney fifed out. He's just chomping the bit to, to have some excuse to take action. And uh, Adam, in the you can see this in the video, Adam uh, encourages one of the folks there who's wearing a Borat-type bathing suit but he's also has uh, he also has uh, like some loose pants over the bottom half of the bathing suit. So uh, Adam is encouraging him. Hey, you know they they revoked the rule. You can you can show us your Borat bathing suit. And so as um, as the gentleman begins to uh, take his loose uh, you know pants off to show the whole bathing suit, um, the cop springs into action, and you can tell. That it just made his day. I mean, you can just look at his face. He's just like, "Yes, finally, I have I have something to do here." And evidently, you know, and it's hard to tell from the film, really, but evidently, as uh, as Steve, the the gentleman with the Borat bathing suit, as he was taking off the the outer uh, covering pants to reveal the bathing suit, maybe you know there was a little bit of a what. What do they say on TV? A wardrobe malfunction? And, you know, it was just a very quick, mild thing. Except, since the cop sprang into action, runs over, grabs him, starts, you know, becoming the authority and doing his little, uh, his little song and dance routine that Barney Fife's like that uh, do whenever they get the opportunity. Because of that, Steve was exposed, instead of literally less than a second... Uh, this accidental exposure could have been dealt with instead of less than a second of exposure because the cop grabs his arms, the pants fall to the ground, and he's exposed for a good period of time. Now, the cop is uh, trying to act like 
the guy flashed him, which is clearly, if you watch the video, that's clearly not the case. He was clearly attempting to just, like you do at the beach, sometimes you wear, you know, some, some loose shorts over your bathing suit and, or, you know, maybe a towel or something, and you start to take that off, and maybe the bathing suit needs to be adjusted. Who in the world has not been in a swimming pool, especially men, but this is also the case with women with their tops, who hasn't been in a swimming pool and started to come up out of the swimming pool and, like, got halfway out of the water and realized, uh-oh, i got to drop back into the water and adjust things? Who hasn't done that? Maybe, maybe that police officer... You know, maybe it's a, I don't know how to say this without being crude, maybe it's a size problem. Maybe a person uh, with, with more bulk, shall we say, uh, is more apt to that. And maybe a person with, uh, with very little bulk um, doesn't, has never faced a problem like that. Maybe, that's the, maybe that was the cop's problem. Maybe the cop doesn't have a bulk issue. Maybe, um, maybe he's just a tiny little guy. You think, and and maybe uh, maybe that's why he didn't understand that sometimes when you're taking your uh, you know when you're revealing your bathing suit sometimes accidents happen. But here's the thing of it, and I, and I'm sorry if I offended some of my audience there, but it's just something that's blaringly obvious to me uh, when I see a man behave the way that cop behaved. Um, I have to wonder really what is deep down inside this person that causes them to be to act so Barney Fifish like that? What is it, what insecurity is in their life that caused them to go, you know, all the way through their life and become that kind of a person that would behave that way? And so, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong as to what the specific little issue might be, but I don't know, you know, uh, I, I don't know the, the cop involved. Uh, I can only judge him by the films, uh, you know, that were taken of the day. But, uh, I don't know, it just causes a person to suspect something. Anyway, for whatever reason, he exposed Steve for much longer by his aggressive actions against Steve than if he had just said, hey, you know, watch what you're doing there, or not said anything and let Steve handle the issue, which Steve clearly was about to do before he was attacked by the cop. Now, I said all that because um, I had linked to this story as I said earlier, I linked to this story in Facebook, and I can't remember exactly what I said about it, but it, but I, I linked to it in some way or another. And a friend of a friend, uh, you know, friend on Facebook, which means whatever, but a friend of a friend uh, jumped on the story and started defending the cop, saying, he's just doing his duty. Those people are out there with their swimsuits, and they're evil and scaring people with their swimsuits. He's just doing his job. And uh, first off, in this day and age, what sane person with half of a, of a functional brain cell left in their head uses that kind of an excuse? I mean, really, um, that's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to be polite with somebody like that. And I, I basically slapped the guy down. I was not polite with him. I slapped him down, said, I don't have time to deal with you. you know. And, and his response to this was, uh, well, you're on Facebook all day, and you podcast, and you write things all over the Internet. How can you not have time to talk to me about this? And my response was, uh, just walk away from the, from the thread. Don't even answer. Why, why bother answering? Why should I sit on the bridge and argue with the troll? Why should I do that? Now, 
and and that's I've learned that uh, from years on the internet of watching people like this and watching people who just hunt for some excuse to have somebody to argue with and I've been silly enough many times in the past to try to patiently work with somebody and say okay well now let's think about this let's talk about this let's find out where you're coming from and let's let's try to address this but I found out you know after being kicked in the mouth a few times uh, you find out that that's really a serious waste of time for you to sit down and try to write something out that makes sense and try to present an argument and they're not going to pay any attention to it all they're going to do is change the subject and make some different you know some different accusation or some different they're not really going to ever hold to one topic and really examine it and and come to an understanding that that's not what the troll does the troll is not there to to discover the truth or to learn anything or to share anything that's not their purpose their purpose is to be on the internet and dominate somebody else in a, in a text conversation and and that's another aspect of this it's a text conversation how much real communication can take place with text but here's what I did want to talk about there's a word that immediately popped into my mind when this guy said these statements and that word is triage many years ago I was on a, uh, a heavy rescue squad and this is back when I was in my 20s and I was very physically fit and I did rock climbing and I did uh, you know repelling and all this kind of fun stuff and I was all all active and physical and everything and so I was a volunteer in a heavy rescue squad and I had only just a very very uh, mild medical training because mostly what I was there for was to you know is the muscle I was there to get into a place that was difficult to get into rig up rigging and you know uh, attempt to extract somebody that was in a bad situation I was specifically trained in mine rescue because out in the Mojave Desert there's lots and lots and lots of abandoned mines and, and many of these mines either they're direct shafts straight down in the floor of the desert that uh, if, you, if you don't know they're there, you can be like riding a motorcycle or dune buggy or whatever across the desert, and all of a sudden there's a 200-foot hole, you know, and it just goes straight down. There's no ne not necessarily any warning that it's even going to be there. But also, oftentimes you'll have a, a horizontal mine into, into a, uh, a mountain or into a bluff or whatever, and then maybe 50 or 75 feet back into this horizontal mine shaft, there will be a, a direct vertical mine shaft that drops down and maybe another 50 or 100 feet. And again, these are not real obvious when you're exploring a mine and all of a sudden the floor drops out from underneath you and you drop 75 feet or something. So I, I was uh, uh, that was a part of my training and that was one of the valuable, that's how I was valuable to the heavy rescue squad was in my uh, ability uh, you know, to, to set up rigging and to repel into a situation like that and to you know set up rescue harnesses and all that kind of thing and it was it was I was not all that trained we had some basic first aid stuff but I was not uh, ever really all that w well trained in the in the medical end of it but one of the things that I was trained with was how to do basic triage and triage is uh, originally I believe it was uh, it was utilized on the battlefields and the idea is that you um, you're dealing if you're dealing with multiple 
uh, patients, a lot of different patients, and, and people in an emergency room would know what I'm talking about with this, or anyone who's been on a battlefield, uh, or anyone in a, in a, you know, multiple rescue situations have been trained with triage. And what, what the, the concept that, that, of triage is that, let's say you have, uh, let's just say you have five patients, and one of them has a very severe hangnail. And one of them has, uh, you know, a broken ankle. And one of them is uh, ha- has a, a puncture wound and they're squirting blood. They're, they, you know, they have an artery that's been severed and, and they're literally gushing blood. And then the other person has like a huge hole in his chest and both of his lungs have been punctured. And uh, he's already lost most of his blood and his color is almost gone. Now... I don't even know how many I just listed, but but you get the idea of the different levels of severity. So you look at these people and you say, okay, the hangnail dude, not going to deal with him. He'll live. He's fine. Unfortunately, the broken ankle dude is in a lot of pain, but he'll be fine, you know. And then you look at the guy with the horrible, massive chest wound with both lungs punctured and, and lo- massive loss of blood, and you say, there's nothing I can do for him. There is somebody here that needs my help and needs my help now. And this is the person I'm going to help. And that's the person with the, with the bleeder, with the artery that's squirting. I can apply pressure on that and get that in control and get that person into a situation where they actually might survive this. But if I waste my time on the guy with the massive chest wound, the odds are I'm going to lose him anyway. And I might lose the guy with the artery wound as well. So you just you have to make this hard decision, and you have to say, these two people, although I could help them, my time is more valuable spent with this other guy over here. And although this guy who's more severely injured than anybody else here, I could go and spend time trying to help him. But in trying to help him, I could lose the one that is actually savable. And so in a triage situation, you have to make that hard decision and you have to say, I'm sorry about your ankle. I'm sorry about your fingernail, your hangnail, and I'm sorry about your massive chest wound. The guy with the artery is the one I have to help. And you, you, can't, you can't look at it and say, well, I like this guy and I don't like this guy, or this guy's a redhead and this guy's a blonde, or this guy is white and this guy's black, or this guy has, is Hispanic. You have to set aside all those things. This guy's rich, this guy's poor. You push all those things to the side, and you only look at the issue that's facing you, and that is how severe are the injuries, who is savable, who needs my help right now, and who... Do I have to just let them go? And that's what triage is about. And we in the liberty movement are all, in a sense, we're all facing people with a variety of different situations. And some of those people are hangnails, and some of them are broken ankles. And a broken ankle, I can tell you from experience, a broken ankle is unbelievably painful. But if you have to abandon the guy with the broken ankle because you're dealing with the guy with the squirting artery, then that's what you have to do. You can't save everybody. And if you have to look at the guy with the massive chest wound and say, you know, somebody might be able to help you, but I can't. And you just have to turn your back on him and walk away. 
And I don't know if this guy, you know, this guy on Facebook, I'm, I'm referring to him as a troll. Maybe he's not a troll. He might be a nice guy. I don't know. He might even be a listener to the podcast. But really and truly, uh, well, first off, let me say this. Anybody can be a troll. You can, you can go your whole life and never be a troll, and then something pops up on the Internet, and you turn out, you look in your, at yourself, and you're like, oh, wow, I was just a troll. Well, that happens. And to be honest with yourself and really ask yourself, am I being a troll? You know, I've, I've found myself being a troll a number of times. I talked yesterday about uh, uh, Jack Hunter. I've, I've thrown out, I've done some trolling with Jack Hunter on a number of occasions. So, you know, I'm not necessarily putting the guy down when I'm referring to him as trolling. But, uh, but that's what he was doing, you know. And in a way, it would have been nice if I could take the time and spend three or four days and spend, you know, uh, several hours each day writing with him and talking to him and chatting with him and get him to actually look and see the truth of the situation. But where do I have to spend my time? Where do I need to spend my time? Who can I help and who is, who do I not need to help and who is beyond help? And, you know, each of us have to make that decision each time. Uh, and the fact is, if you can watch the video of the guys on that boardwalk at Asbury Park and not realize that that cop was just chomping at the bit, to, he wanted so bad to get somebody. And when, when Steve gave him the opportunity, he could have been civilized and he could have realized, you know, there's uh, this is not uh, the type of wardrobe malfunction that was planned and put on national TV during halftime of the Super Bowl. It's not like that kind of a wardrobe malfunction that no one was ever arrested for. It was simply a mistake, and it could have only lasted a second if the cop hadn't have jumped in there and and you know uh, tried to be the hero and show his Barney Fifeness and and try to do something about it. Well, that's pretty obvious in that in that film. You know, uh, the first part of the podcast here was talking about the lemonade stands. And when you see, or when you hear about, when you see a story or when you hear about, you know, police, multiple police in uniforms uh, coming and harassing little girls with their lemonade stands and, uh, and literally, you know, scaring them and intimidating them, well, this is fairly obvious that, that the police state is out of control and the government is out of control and something's not right when you have uniformed police. And in one case, the actual mayor actually came out and took charge of a situation himself and intimidated kids and, and made them shut down their, uh, their lemonade stand. And when you see things like this, it's obvious. And if a person looks at that and, and thinks that's good... Well, I don't. I don't know that they're. I don't know that they're salvageable. I think maybe their gaping chest wound is so bad you can't help them. Um, but I think most people, when they see something like that, this is this is something that can draw people into the liberty movement because it's so obvious that there's something wrong. And then you know the mind says, "How how did we get to this? Why is this happening?" And we have the answers to that. The liberty movement has the answers to those questions, and we have the answer as to how we can move away from that and, and, and fix society and break loose from this oppressive government that, you know, that beats us down on every level from 
lemonade stands to hellfire missiles blasting into uh, you know i'm i'm thinking of the teenage kid that the president murdered just simply because his dad was on a hit list uh, his dad was never actually convicted of any crimes but the president had had his dad murdered so the president of the united states had a teenager murdered simply because his dad was considered a bad guy and they thought well he might grow up to be a bad guy too and that is, the, that is actually the logic that they used to murder an American citizen who is a teenager. That's the, the, the way they think. So a situation like that should be obvious to the observer that the government is out of control. And when police harass a little girl over a lemonade stand, it should be obvious that the government is out of control. And when people can't see that, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody out there Maybe there are people who have the patience and have the time and have the gift that they can reach out to people and say, look, take a look at this. What do you think about this? And show them and work with them. But uh, that's not me. You know, I've got bleeders I've got to handle right now, and I can't stop and hold this guy's hand who has a, who has a hangnail. I can't do that. I have, I have things to do, literally. And also, it's kind of arrogant to tell somebody on the internet, you know, uh, whether or not they have time in their schedule to help, whether or not, you know, they have time in their schedule to help you with something. You don't know what that person's schedule is like. You don't know what they're facing, you know, outside of that one little chat area that you're, that you're in. So to have the arrogance to tell somebody else that, to scold them for not taking the, the time to spend with, with you to explain something to you, man, that's, pr- that's pretty arrogant. Uh, you know, may, maybe I'll just uh, email him my whole schedule and let him arrange my itinerary from, from now on. How would that be, you know? But now, you know, speaking of, since I'm on the police thing, okay, so we have a situation that's obvious, like the cops with a little girl. And we have a situation that's fairly obvious where, you know, in the case with Kelly Thomas, I think it was about a year and a half ago or so, I'm not sure, uh, Kelly Thomas was a homeless man that the police knew he was a regular you know he was a regular downtown person they knew they had encountered him lots of times they knew that he was a very gentle man he was uh, he was mentally impaired but they knew that he was a very gentle person and that he was not in any way harmful um, he was not aggressive in any way and uh, the cops beat him to death and the cops that beat him to death uh, you can tell from the videos and you can tell by the whole situation the audio that was recorded of it that they really enjoyed beating him they really got a kick out of it and other cops that were there kind of objected a little bit but nobody really stopped the beating and they literally beat this poor man to death and his his dad's a former uh, I think he was a former sheriff uh, or sheriff I think he was a former sheriff or maybe a sheriff's deputy or something along that lines anyway and he's crying for his dad as they're beating him to death. Now, it's not hard to look at something like that and realize something's out of control here. Something's not right. But but some people don't see that. They say, well, he must have had reason. They, them cops must have had a reason to beat him. In, in what kind of a twisted morality would large, healthy, armed men be justified in beating to death a small, 
uh, unarmed, mentally handicapped person, in what in what twisted reality could there be a justification for that? Another situation is like with Ian uh, Ian Freeman up in uh, up in New Hampshire. They have a, a, a restraining order to prevent him from actually going to the local courthouse. Now, this is public property. It's a courthouse. And if he goes to the courthouse, they can arrest him for trespassing. Now, you don't... It, this, the logic here is a little odd. How can you trespass? Think about what pro- public property is. Now, personally, I don't think there is such a thing as public property, and I can make an argument on that. But if the government says there's public property and the government defines what public property is, then how can a member of the public trespass on it? Isn't it owned by the public? Doesn't Ian Freeman, in essence, own that courthouse just like the rest of us? Then how can he trespass on his own property? You see, when you start to think about the logic of these things, your mind starts to go into loops like what is wrong with this what am i seeing that's not right and it doesn't make any sense at all under any circumstances unless you realize that it's all fake everything that the government is telling us about about its authority is fake everything you know you look at the, the that cop arresting uh steve ettinger um, you think of the uh, the threat against Ian Freeman for just being at a courthouse. You think about cops beating a mentally handicapped person to death. You think about cops harassing little kids because they have a lemonade stand. You think about cops in full SWAT gear raiding an Amish farm because he sold cheese. There, There's... There's no logic in this at all unless you realize what this thing is that we're dealing with. What this beast really is in its heart. And I'm not talking about the individual cop. I'm not talking about the individual lawmaker, so-called lawmaker, that makes up these ridiculous laws. I'm not talking about anybody who thinks that what they're doing is serving society. What I'm talking about is this concept that these people would have the right to behave the way they're behaving and that all the rest of us should cower and bow before them or that we should assume that by the very sheer fact that they, those people in uniform or those people in high offices, those, those people are somehow, uh, that they somehow have the right to do these things and the very fact that they're doing them means we probably should assume that they're doing the right thing. This very concept is so backwards to truth and morality and what's right. It's, it's so backwards to that that it's hard to address it in any logical way unless you realize that the very concept of the state is the definition of evil. The idea that one group of people can lord over other people and that human beings can make laws and other human beings have to obey those laws that concept is blasphemous and that is the definition of evil folks for more on liberty the zero aggression principle and property rights go to badquaker.com and thank you very much for listening 